business at a higher level takes intellect. Like there's, it, there's this point where your passion and your drive will get you to, but at a higher level, you have to be smart about it. And so if you know that about higher level business, then why not start off that way? Why not truly start off by studying the fundamentals of building a business? Because there's a difference, you guys know this, there's a difference between a technician, right, minded person, and that, that I don't care if you're a dentist or you're a home inspector or you know you run a plumbing company or whatever it is, you're a technician, right? Obviously physicians are high paid technicians, but they're still trained technicians. There's a difference between running a, a business as a technician versus running a business as a business owner. And the faster the people can get that business owner hat on and say, hey, I need to make decisions as a business owner, not as a technician, the faster they're gonna get on the path to actually building a business. This is the Ingles of Latitude podcast, session number 180 with power team builder, Dirk Von Renan. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, you got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, JC Preston, connector of amazing people and great ideas. And in this session, I'm joined by Andy Dix, professional coach and host of the Hopeful Hoosier podcast. If this is the first time you're listening in, this is the show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists so that you too can find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. Well, everyone, here we are almost two thirds of the way through the year already. And due to lockdown, uh, 2020 really has blown right by. However, it has been a memorable year for sure. And many companies and businesses have had to pivot. And as we've been talking about on this show for quite a bit, sometimes those pivots turn into some pretty great opportunities. And for many, 2020 will be known as the great restart or reset. Speaking of which, this session's guest is someone who has had the pleasure of helping many businesses through their own pivots, so to speak. And since launching his company, Bergflow, in January of 2017, Dirk Von Renen has worked with companies all around the country and around the world. And in fact, yours truly has had the opportunity to sit in on one of these classes. And I have to admit, several concepts that were standalone in my head were, were brought together in a way that I hadn't really thought about it before. So in today's chat with Dirk, Andy and I are going to be learning about why he started Bergflow and the meaning behind the name, challenges that remote teams might have as they try to become more effective, and why building something worthwhile should be something everyone is concerned about. But first, I want to remind you guys about Connected, and I have to tell you guys that I've been doing a ton of networking these days through Zoom. And I have to admit, most of the folks that I'm engaging with are from a handful of sources, LinkedIn being one, referrals or one of three networks that have joined since the pandemic hit. And interestingly, some of the best I've had have come through LinkedIn. And in fact, Sessions 179's guest, Rohan Kale, was someone I met through that platform. However, a lot of people unfortunately see LinkedIn as a waste of time. And while I used to have that same perspective myself before I found Connected. If you're not familiar with Connected, think of it as a, a way to automate connecting with individuals of your choosing on LinkedIn. And not only has it taken my networking to the next level, but Andy and Veronica both use it as well. And in fact, Veronica has said multiple times that it has taken her coaching to the next level. So if you're a coach, a consultant, or anyone who might benefit from meeting other great people on LinkedIn, I highly recommend you checking it out. Uh, you can do so right now by heading over to newinceptions.com slash connected. That's spelled K-E-N-N-E-C-T-E-D. And from there, you'll be able to check out the demo and what it can do for you. And be sure to use that link because it'll save you $500 on your onboarding fee if you choose to sign up. And in fact, send me an email and I'll be sure to verify with Devin that you get that lower price. So again, that's newinceptions.com 
dot com slash connected, K-E-N-N-E-C-T-E-D. And speaking of Devin, if you want to hear a story, you can check it out at newinceptions.com slash 171. So that said, before we get into the chat with Dirk, remember you too can get into the conversation, tag us on social media, as well as leave a review or comment on wherever you're listening to the show on. Doing so will not only get you involved, but will help other people find the show as well. So we really, really appreciate that. Uh, In fact, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll be sure to read it in an upcoming session. And while you're at it, subscribe to the show on whichever platform you're listening to the show on, and that way you'll know when the next episode is released. Also remember, if you need help in scaling your business the right way, you can email us at heyguysatnewinceptions.com with any questions. And whether you need advice or a strategic introduction to other amazing people in our networks, we always love to help our listeners in any way that we can. Show notes and show note extras of the show can be found at newinceptions.com slash 180. And as always, I'll be on at the end of the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, JC Preston, alongside Andy Dix, professional coach and host of the Hopeful Hoosier podcast. Andy, how are you doing? Well, we've reached the dog days of summer in Indiana, and it's gotten super hot. And so my dogs are just lounging. They're like they're like uh, giant floor mats right now. They're hating the heat. How about your puppy? Well, Max, he's he's doing a great job of handling it. Um, you know, I don't think he really is too, he's not phased by the weather all that much, but I will say that there's another dog in the house that as soon as he gets outside, realizes that it's super hot, eh, it's a quick turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm kind of the same way, so I really don't blame them, right? You know, I love the sunshine. I love the warmer weather, but at some too point, true, just too like, true. it's hot here. And, uh, you know, but just like anything else is, is just, we'll just need to relearn how to, how to cope with uh, the hot weather, just like we cope with the uh, learning how to deal with the, the, the cold weather each year. But uh, getting into today's conversation, we recently had a chat with uh, Dr. Ryan Gottfordson. And during that interview, I mentioned that organizational leadership and leadership in general is something that I'm, I'm pretty interested in. And a big part of why I even went down that road was when I was going through my years in 4-H and even my undergrad years, I always found myself wanting to impact others. And I realized that the best way to do that is through a leadership role of some sort. And now today, almost, uh, what, 11 years after graduation, I find myself wearing a few hats for a handful of organizations. So I'd like to think of that, you know, it, it all worked out. However, one of the problems that organizations I've been involved with, and I'm sure many others, is that finding the right help to do, do the get the job done is sometimes a little harder than it needs to be. And at times, you know, the talent we pick up will start out great, but eventually their initial motivation will will fizzle out. And they suddenly, you know, they change to someone who's cutting corners and really not the person we, we thought we had hired. And likewise, uh, some of the business partners who we thought were going to be amazing ended up not fulfilling their own side of the bargain themselves. Yeah, it's so true, JC. And, and then we have this shining example of the NASA-Tesla partnership. And you can only imagine the cultural differences and the amount of leadership and collaboration that it took to get the Tesla team and the NASA team fully integrated in a way that they could actually, you know, create this great event and successful launch and docking. So, you know, I think that 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 there is a possibility, even in this virtual world that we're in, to create human working systems that that do work. And, and that's really what our guest is doing today. Um, we're speaking with someone who's made it his mission to help leaders build powerful and productive teams. And since starting Bergflow in 2017, he's worked with companies around the world to empower their teams to have more fulfillment in their work while giving them a better quality of life, which we all want. His name is Dirk Van Rienen, and he can be found at Bergflow, B-E-R-G-F-L-O-W dot com. Welcome to the show, Dirk. Andy, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Excited to be here today. You know, like most entrepreneurs, you've had your fair share of delays and setbacks, and uh, you had to sort of remove your career rocket from the launch pad. Why, why don't you walk us through how you came to be at Bergflow? 
Yeah, I think uh, the first thing to note is, um, you know, as a kid growing up, uh, I always loved business. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and um, just kind of saw that blueprint of going out and taking advantage of opportunities and, and you know, building businesses. And uh, when I was 14 years old, my family immigrated from South Africa to the United States. And so we really started off with, with nothing when we got to the United States. Um, so I knew from an early age that you know, there probably wasn't going to be opportunities that my parents could really open up for me. So um, I had to kind of go back to that entrepreneurial blueprint and really look at, okay, if I want to make something of myself and, you know, build a, a, a better life, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that. And um, I was able to um, really buy my first business when I was 21 years old. And it was actually from me working and then starting to manage a, a ski shop in, uh, while I was going to college. So I was in this, the ski and snowboard industry for about six, seven years. Um, and then in 2007, I lost that business. So I was uh, in a huge amount of debt, made some decisions that weren't the best decisions with moving locations, bringing on new lines, things like that. So I went into kind of a, a tough time after that, just trying to survive and keep my family moving forward. And, um, you know, in that time, I got into um, the auction industry and, and asset liquidation, which is really kind of a good place to be, you know, 2008, 9, 10, and got into the real estate space after that. And then um, in about 2012, um, I joined a company called Keller Williams, and I saw a lot of alignment with what I was doing with my auction company and, and starting to work with them as well. And, you know, being introduced to that, that organization, they had an amazing, uh, you know, system for building businesses. So I just emerged myself in learning that system and very quickly um, had success with uh, my real estate team and my auction company, expanded into multiple cities and then had an opportunity to go into leadership with Keller Williams and, um, you know, did that for several years, uh, was relocated to Houston to run a large office here. And then I was relocated to Columbia, Maryland to run one of the largest uh, Keller Williams offices worldwide there. Um, and after some time, I just, uh, started realizing that, um, you know, I wasn't on the right path. And after really kind of digging in and evaluating and, you know, being, being in a large system like the Keller Williams system and running one of the top uh, offices worldwide, at one point that year, we were the second fastest growing real estate office in that system worldwide out of 800 offices. And there, you know, at that time, there were twice, Keller Williams as a, as a company was twice as big as any other real estate office. So I knew that there was something off if I was, um, experiencing that level of success in business, but I wasn't fulfilled. And, uh, but I, I did discover a deeper passion during, you know, those years from, you know, uh, 2012 through, uh, you know, 2016. And that was really learning how to build teams. And that's one of the things that I, that I really dove in and started studying heavily, you know, everything I was reading, every coach I worked with, every conference I went to was specifically around team building. And I found like, that's where, you know, my passion lies is building high performance teams. And then, you know, at the end of 2016, I just said, Hey, I want to go out and I want to help um, other small businesses learn how to do this at a high level. Cause it, it had transformed my life in a huge way from being kind of that, that almost solo entrepreneur or entrepreneur with a really small team that kept hitting ceilings of not being able to break through and get my time freedom and, and kind of break through those financial barriers. I, I struggled with that a lot, you know, especially from about 2008 to about 2012. So I had about four years of really hitting some heavy ceilings and it was a, a really stressful time for myself, for, uh, our marriage. Um, you know, even, you know, when my son was young, like, I mean, I was, I was working 80, 90 hours a week, every week, you know, uh, I mean, I remember in 2011, I, I worked seven months without a day off, you know, 12, wow. 14 hours a day. And uh, there was this frustration I felt lied to because I felt like, you know, my whole life, I was kind of given this blueprint of how to build a successful life. And then I was working on that, but yet I just wasn't getting ahead. And uh, so when I kind of went through this big breakthrough and started experiencing a lot of success, um, I just really felt called to kind of go back and help the other people that have been building businesses and same thing that they got stuck at a certain point, just couldn't move forward. And it's almost like you throw your hands up at a certain level and say like, what now? So that's kind of where we've been specializing. And then um, over the last three years, uh, three and a half years since I've launched Berkflow, um, we've really dove deeper into the team building, into organizational 
design and uh, really pouring into human systems development within organizations. So we just have a completely different lens that we look at uh, organizations through. And, you know, we, we believe like the work we're doing is transformative and it's completely changing the way that people hire, train, build teams. And, um, you know, that's what we're excited about. And, and there's a little bit of hidden meaning in the name Bergflow. Can, can you tell us what that means? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you guys can ever relate or if anybody listening, but before I actually built a business that was a million-dollar business, and I hated everything about it. I didn't like the name. I didn't like the logo, the colors. I didn't like half the people I worked with. And, I mean, it was it was one of these things that when I, when I was ready to kind of really go after, like, you know, this project that I felt like, hey, this is what I really want to dig dig my life purpose into. I wanted to be purposeful about everything. So I wanted to come up with a name that really represented what we're about. When I I really kind of sat down and thought about, okay, what are we about? Um, I really kind of got this vision of taking on challenges that, that most other people don't want to take on. And so I started kind of thinking through that and I said, okay, why is that important to me? And I realized that if you have access to great challenges, right, when you're put into a position where there's a great challenge in front of you, what it also means is however great that challenge is, the opportunity is just as great. And I think like that's something that people have to realize is whatever you're facing, if you feel like you're up against something great, there's a great opportunity waiting for you. And if you can capitalize on that opportunity, then you get great rewards, right? So I was like, okay, that's that's got to be in our name. And the way that I looked at that is, okay, what represents a great challenge um, physically? And for me, it's uh, it's mountains. I love the mountains, right? So always have um, downhill mountain biking, snowboarding, you know, hiking, backpacking, like all the stuff. I just love the mountains. So uh, I went back to kind of my South African roots and, and said, okay, what, what represents that? And it's the word back actually. So, right. So the, the English translation is bird, like ice mountain bird. So that's where the bird comes from for bird flow. The flow part actually comes from a documentary called happy that I watched uh, probably about six years ago. And I just kind of found this documentary. I love watching documentaries and, and, the, the show Happy kind of explored what are the five essential things for humans to experience higher levels of actual joy and happiness in their life. And this is really the first time I had heard the concept of flow. And flow being a state which you become fully immersed in the moment, meaning that when you're in that moment of flow, nothing else matters, time ceases to exist, and you're fully immersed in what you're doing. So from that time that I saw that and kind of caught on to that word flow, I was just, I was really fascinated by it. So I said, okay, look, it's not enough that when we go to work, that we work on big challenges. Like we have to experience flow in what we do. I want to be able to go to work and be so immersed in what I do that time ceases to exist and that it never feels like just the daily grind. And so I put those two words together and I said, this is what we're about. Our company is called Bergflow and we're going after big challenges and we're doing it in a way that we can experience flow in our work. And um, so that's where the, the name came from. Awesome. Uh, that's cool. You know, one of the things that, that reminds me of is the whole uh, idea of, of deep work, right? With, with flow and actually working on something, the more, uh, I would say, productive that you're going to actually be meaning that if you're constantly having to check emails and you're having all these other types of, of things and obstacles that keep getting in your way of doing what it is that you're supposed to do, you're never really going to get to that level of genius. And I, I can, I can see what you're, what you're talking about there. Yeah. Deep work, deep work is a really cool thing too. Cause I mean, it, for most people, just like you said, they, they're constantly being distracted without knowing that they're constantly being distracted. And when they use terms like, Oh, I'm a good multitasker. And, you know, the research shows that it, it, it doesn't work, right? So if you can find those deep, deeper time blocks, that's one thing our team does, you know, on a regular basis. Is if we have bigger projects, we'll set an entire day aside that the team only does deep work where we can really kind of find, because you guys know, like you start on a task, it's going to take you 20 minutes, 30 minutes just to actually get to the point of like really getting into it. Then maybe another 20, 30 minutes to get into true immersion. And then once you're there, something gets in the way, then it breaks that. So once you get into that immersive state, if you can stay in that state for even another hour, two hours, you can get some amazing things done. Yeah. And have amazing discussions and oh yeah, all, all kinds of great things will come from that. Um, moving on to kind of the next subject here. Um, you know, the number one thing that a lot of people think about when they're thinking of scaling 
is building systems. And so you'll find a lot of people you know, trying to automate software to do all kinds of things in, in their business. And, but eventually you have to bite the bullet and get a team going. Uh, you know, I recommend, for example, the first group of, of talent a company should go after is uh, virtual assistants. And then as they grow, they can they can bring in more full-time folks, whether or not they're they're local or, or remote. What are your thoughts on uh, entrepreneurs going from a solopreneur to starting a team? What are what are some of the things that they need to consider other than who will work for the lowest wages? Yeah, great question. I mean, and this is, I mean, we've got 10 days of content around this, right? So I'll try to keep it as succinct as possible. <laughs> but I mean, the first thing that we find is that businesses have a basic structure. And without understanding the basic structure of business, it's really hard to build and scale a business. So think of think about this, right? If most businesses can fit into this template where you're going to have three core divisions, one division is going to be your services, one's going to be operations, and one's going to be growth. So if you look at that, and we call it our empire model, if you, if you look at those three divisions, then the services is obviously what you're doing for the exchange of money. That's, that's the creation of value to the client or customer. But equally as important behind that is like, okay, how do we run the operations within the business? And then thirdly, how do we grow this and how are we going to get more customers essentially? And one thing that is really important is that a lot of people, you know, I've seen this in a lot of different, different industries where a, a solo entrepreneur, the first thing they want to do is they want to hire more service people, right? So if I'm, if I'm a real estate agent then I'm like, Oh, I need to hire another agent. If I'm a, you know, um, you know, tech person, then it's like, oh, I need to go hire another tech service person, right? So whatever it is, they everybody kind of tends to think that I, I should go get another service person. And one thing that we always say is like, the first thing is you got to do is like, you got to understand your operational structure. And upper, the, the operational division is the number one thing that will allow scalability for an organization. And there's a lot of organizations that get out there and they grow like crazy or they have funding or whatever it is. And then they don't ever figure out the operations. They start just burning through cash. They're ineffective, uh, inefficient, and, you know, things start breaking down. So our advice is always like go hire a great operator. And whether that's a, a virtual assistant that you hire to start working on the operational side for you or you bite the bullet and hire somebody full time, that's what you gotta got to figure out is like, Who's going to be that operator that's going to be kind of my right-hand person, right? Gina Wickman in Rocket Fuel talks about the visionary integrator relationship. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is that you, you have the entrepreneur that came up with kind of the, the vision and the idea, and they're starting to do the service. Immediately, they have to get that operator that kind of backs them up and starts taking care of everything. So what we say is like, look, if you're going to build a business, number one is just separate yourself from the business, right? The business has a name, it's got its own bank account, it's got its own tax structure, everything like that. And go hire an operator that can do all that stuff for you, right? From day one, don't pay your own bills, have your operator do it, right? Have your operator work on your database, your systems, your software, like whatever it is. And then you go out and you learn how to do that service in a way that you can start having more repetition, more reps on the service that you're doing. So when you start becoming really efficient at that, then you're hiring somebody on the service side and then you go and, and now figure out, okay, how can we really lay the accelerator down and grow this thing? And ultimately, if you can find the right three people, you find the right operator, the right person to run the services and the right person on the growth side, you can essentially build a really big company only hiring three people, but then they go and hire and train the next people. So a lot of entrepreneurs kind of end up in a situation where they hire somebody and then they hire somebody else and they hire somebody else and they hire somebody else and they hire somebody else. And like the next thing they got like seven people reporting to them and there's no leadership structure within the organization. There's no true divisional structure within the organization. It's really easy to get stuck or frustrated, or it's just like you're working a hundred hours a week and you don't actually know that are my people actually working? Are they really delivering? And it's because, you know, you just kind of went out there and like hired people without understanding the structure. I mean, I had a conversation with with one of my mentors is, is a, just an exceptionally successful business person. And um, I've been blessed to have him in my life for the last uh, four years. His name is David Osborne. And, um, you know, we, we kind of talked about this idea of that business at a higher level takes intellect. Like there's, it, 
there's this point where your passion and your drive will get you to, but at a higher level, you have to be smart about it. And so if you, if you kind of know that about higher level business, then why not start off that way? Why not truly start off by studying the fundamentals of building a business? Because there's a difference, you guys know this, there's a difference between a technician, right? Minded person. And that, that I don't care if you're a dentist or you're a home inspector or, you know, you run a plumbing company or whatever it is, you're a technician, right? Obviously physicians are high paid mm -hmm. technicians, but they're still trained technicians. There's a difference between running a, a business as a technician versus running a business as a business owner. And the faster the people can get that business owner hat on and say, Hey, I need to make decisions as a business owner, not as a technician, the faster they're going to get on the path to actually building a business. It sounds like you're, taking a few yeah. pages out of the e-myth revisited. Uh, yeah. I mean, Michael Gerber <laughs> talks about this all, you know, all the time. It's, it's exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's like the difference between being in, in the S quadrant and moving to the B quadrant is that you're moving from, you know, that the company owns you versus you actually owning the company. Yeah. You know, I, I read a study once and I can't quote the source. I believe it was a combination of Harvard and, and maybe Yale. And they studied organizations around the globe and they found out that once you get beyond nine people, the organization is by definition dysfunctional, meaning you're playing the telephone game and you can't get good, clear communication and information and understanding and alignment because there's just too many people in that communication chain. and and I'm wondering, you know, with all of us having to live in this quarantine virtual world, what challenges do you think, Dirk, that places on forming a team and getting it to be effective and not allowing it to devolve into being misaligned, misunderstood and and that kind of thing that would just be sort of a mercenarial work group? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, when, when our team, when COVID hit and... Um, you know, we here in Texas, I mean, there were other places where things were shutting down a little bit quicker than in Texas, but, you know, obviously everything came to a halt pretty quick, right? So when we, when we understood that we have to go work as a virtual team, like the first thing that we did is we had a, 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 a kind of sit down meeting with our team and we said, okay, we have to go virtual. And the first thing I told the team is that because we're going virtual, there's going to be a lot of communication that's going to be missed because we're not in the same proximity anymore. And we have to understand that. So we just uh, committed to, and, and this is something we do every day anywhere, it, at 8.30 a.m. every single morning, our team has a 15 to 20-minute stand-up huddle where we talk about the most important things that need to be um, executed that day. We talk about important meetings. We talk about projects that are going on, how we can support each other. But one thing that we added as well when we went virtual, so we still had the virtual uh, meeting every morning, is we added another meeting at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just a quick um you know, 15 minute report out meeting. And we created a form that just said, um, hey, rate your day on a scale from one to 10. What went really well? What did you uh, bring to completion today? And what got in the way? And we just had quick conversations about that. And I just told my team, I said, guys, we have to over communicate on everything right now. It's better for us to over communicate and have redundancy than us start seeing gaps in our business. And I think you know, for a virtual team, that's really important to increase the level of communication um, that you're not silent about everything that anything that you don't leave anything unsaid because it's the moment that you think that somebody else has got it covered or, well, you're just going to see if it works out immediately you, you're creating challenges, right? So if you can say, Hey, they may already be covering this, but I just want to bring this up anyway. And then again, it, it may create a little bit of redundancy, but in those kind of situations, it's better to over communicate. And I think that the other is it just goes back to the foundation of, you know, whether you're building a, a virtual team or, you know, an, an kind of a, an in-office team, it comes down to number one is like, what is the vision of this organization, right? If, if you're building a virtual organization, what does the vision look like? Based on that vision, you know, what are those goals that we need to hit? And then what role does each person in the organization play, you know, to get to that role, that, that goal? And I mean, if, whether you're using something like 40X or Traction, or we have a system called Pivot Ready Teams that does that, it, you have to run on some sort of a system that can help tie in the daily tactical execution 
to the strategy that you're running, to the goals that you need to hit, to the vision. So one thing that mm. a lot of the, the, the clients, I mean, all, all the clients that we work with, like one thing that we're continually just um, talking to them about is like saying like, hey, are you talking to your team about your vision? Have you talked to them this week about the vision? And one of the most impactful things I ever heard um, from a CEO uh, was an interview that a, a reporter had with Jack Welsh when, when GE was kind of in the height of just, you know, being this global machine. And they said, Jack, what do you spend most of your time doing? And I'll never forget this. He said, I spend 90% of my time talking about the vision of GE. And it doesn't matter if that's in a one-on-one -on -one meeting or with my executive leadership team or in a board meeting or speaking at a conference or speaking at a media outlet. 90% of the time was, was spent talking about the vision of where GE is going. Because vision creates that clarity. It, create, it connects the dots for somebody in the organization to understand how they can contribute to the vision. So I think a lot of times that may break down in virtual teams. And for leaders, I would just say just over-communicate the vision. Because also, every time you communicate the vision, you're going to get a, a deeper level of understanding about the vision. You're going to learn how, how to articulate it at a higher level. So communicate that at a high level and then make sure that everybody is on the same page about what goals need to be hit and work backwards and figure out your strategies and your tactical execution. That's some great, great advice there. That's really good leader lead into the, um, the, the topic that I was kind of what I was talking with, uh, Chris Tuff about in a, in a recent interview. And, you know, we, we, we were actually talking about that the millennials are, are looking for three different things in, in their leaders. They're looking to be inspired. They want transparency and they want autonomy and they don't necessarily care as a whole about having badminton, you know, uh, or like a, a cafe or, you know, all these bells and whistles that Google campus has for its employees. In fact, many of them prefer to work at home as we are just talking about in virtual settings. So let's kind of look at a, a worst case scenario. Let's say there's a situation where a leader has been great at their craft, but when they're tried to scale, and bring other people in, things get out of control. You know, they're looking at not as, as being inspirational. People are doing things differently than they've been asked to behind their back. And there's a sneaking suspicion that, that corners are simply being cut when it comes to the work hours that are being put in. So my question is, what can a leader that's in that, that particular situation, how can they, what are some of the things that they can do to rein some of that control back? Yeah, so I'd say the, the first thing is just have grace for yourself, right? Because, I mean, learning learning leadership is exactly that. It's learning leadership. There's no such thing as a natural-born leader. So leaders leaders are built and forged through the experiences they have and their level of study and their level of self-awareness. So the first thing is if, if you're kind of in that place where you're struggling with that, just just kind of say, hey, you know, it's, it's okay that I'm st struggling with that now, but how do I move forward from that? And I think one of the most important things that, I would just really recommend to people is get on a system, right? It, people have succeeded and failed before you, right? Don't go figure out how to build everything from scratch. I mean, there's turnkey systems out there that will help you learn exactly what to do to evaluate the needs of the company, how to build your job profiles, how to go out and search for the right people, how to, how to put them through a great selection process where you can find the right person for your organization. Cause that's key. I mean, like if, if you hire the wrong people, like right off the bat, you set yourself up for failure. I don't care how great of a leader you are. Right. So always start with like making sure like, am I in business with the right people? Are they the right person for the right fit on the job? Cause just as you guys were saying, uh, as, as you guys were introing, you know, that sometimes you hire that person, they show up awesome for just a short amount of time and they start changing. Most of the time, it's because there's a behavioral misfit from who that person is, what their natural core behavior is, and what's required in the job. We see it all the time. It's one of the, the absolute reasons I believe that there's so many people in America that are depressed today is because they go to work every day doing work that's not fulfilling, not meaningful, and it's not actually a behavioral fit. So they're constantly in a, a, in a higher level of stress mode at work, not because the work is stressful, but because they're not the right behavioral fit for, um, for the role. Right. And, and when it comes to like organizational behavior, like that's something that we completely just like geek out on. And one of the guys that works for us, um, has, a, a, a master's and an MBA in organizational 
design and uh, you know organizational um, development. And so we we talk a lot right. about um, about this, and you know it's so important to start with the right people. So if you if you start with the right people and you have a system to follow, immediately it makes it way easier to do this. Way easier. If you're trying to figure this out on your own and you're hiring the wrong people, your chances of success are very, very low until you make so many mistakes and, and have so much many heartaches and sleepless nights and you've wasted so much money to where you actually start figuring it out. So the first thing I would say is just like get on a system that works. Secondly, find the right people that are in alignment with your vision. Because if, if that is true, if, if you find the right person that's in alignment with your vision, then from day one, they're going to want to show up in a way to make that vision become a reality. Because if you're in alignment, they are winning as a result of you moving towards that vision becoming real. You know, and, and one thing that we're real big on, and we don't use the word employee in our in our organizations. We only use the word team member because for us, an employee is there to get a paycheck. For us, a team member is there to help the team win and move towards a common goal. And that's just the the way that we approach uh, business is that if we're not truly in alignment, then we can't win. Right. And so because of that, we also very, you know, we practice uh, vulnerability and authenticity, right? Cause uh, I've been in positions before in the past where kind of like my image of the leader was like this, this strong person that knows it all and has the right answers and barks out orders. And like, you know, that, that kind of classic, like, you know, powerhouse leader. And what I've learned is that I go to my team on a very regular basis and I say, guys, I don't know how to figure this out. I know this, this is important and we need to move this forward, but I need your help. I need you guys to help me figure this out. And that also gives them permission then to say, Hey Dirk, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to figure this out. I need help. Right. So for us, like that's being a team is helping each other. And that creates a different uh, environment, right? It creates, it takes so much pressure off the leader because especially when you're, somebody that's thinking about starting a business or you're a solo entrepreneur and you're kind of in that, that budding entrepreneur stage where, you know, you're starting to do more business, you know, you need to go to, you need to hire somebody. There's this pressure of like, well, one is like, I don't know how to hire because, you know, even in business schools, they don't really teach you how to hire people. They don't really teach you how to train people. So nope. there's a lot of pressure right off the bat that you don't really know what you're doing. And then secondly is, this person is going to come work for you. And like, there's this pressure of like, now I got to tell them how to do everything when I don't even know how to do everything. So if you kind of approach it a little bit differently and take all that pressure away and just say, Hey, what if I go find another person that's really excited about what I'm doing and they want to be a part of it and I can bring them in based on their behavioral strength and their gifts and their talents and abilities and everything else and say, Hey, if you and I work on this together and we build this thing, I want to make sure that you get what you want out of it. You know, now you start bringing more people together in that way. And you truly create a team that's in it to work together. You don't have to feel like you constantly have to like motivate your people because they're already internally motivated because they know if the company moves forward, they're going to get what they want. So again, at a foundational level, I think, you know, looking at it differently and approaching it differently makes it way easier. Yeah, I totally agree, Dirk. You know, one of the simplest definitions that I once heard is the difference between a team and a work group is a team is willing to make personal sacrifices for the good of the team uh, versus a work group who's just there doing whatever it is they need to get do to perform their role. And so if you're a good leader and you can transition people from being a mercenary mindset where they just want to be there for a paycheck to a missionary mindset where they actually believe in that vision, then, you know, you get this, this X factor plus of team performance that, that is hard to beat and, and it can be a competitive advantage for you. Uh, one of the things that I know you specialize in talking uh, a little bit about vision is making sure that people build something, as you say, that's worthwhile. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? What does it mean to build something worth, worthwhile? And, and what tips would you share for our audience on how they could do that in their own careers. So I think, you know, this is another thing when I built Bergflow that I said, Hey, I, I want to have a, you know, obviously a tagline that, that kind of is really shares what we're about. And for me, it was like, look, if you are going to put your time and effort and energy towards something, build something worthwhile, build something that one day you can look back and say, you know what? I didn't waste my time. 
I didn't go to a job every day and go do something that didn't fulfill me, didn't inspire me, didn't challenge me and didn't cause me to, to become, you know, the best version of who I, who I could become. And I think for us, like that's, that's where we really challenge, um, you know, the clients that we work with to gain extreme clarity about what's important to them, like authentically important to them. Because I think so many people, um, and I learned this when I was running large real estate offices, right? When, when my job was recruiting top, top producing agents and, and other, other people, uh, one of my job was to, to do what we would call a needs analysis and, and really find out, okay, what's important to somebody? So you'd say, hey, what, what's, uh, what's important to you in the, in the next couple of years? And, and somebody would say, oh, I, I want to make $100,000, right? And, okay, well, what, what's important about making $100,000, right? And, and you just kind of go through the thread of questioning. And then you kind of find out that they've got no clue why they want to make $100,000. Like there's no authenticity in what's important to them. So, you know, we really believe in helping people get to the point where authentically they can say, this is important to me and this is what I want to build because for me, this would be building something worthwhile. And once you connect to that authenticity, what happens is you become magnetic. And what I mean by that is you're going to attract other people that are also authentically connected to what you want to build. And that's where you know, we believe that you find those people that you know, do want to want to serve. That's where those people are part of a mission. They're not there for a paycheck, right? It's not, it's not just kind of like going through the checklist and doing what they need to do so they can get a paycheck. Is that they're truly showing up to serve, to be a part of like this this mission. Um, and and so like, I think that every person really needs to just kind of stop and reflect and say like, hey, with with me giving my time, effort, energy, my giftings, my skill to whatever I'm giving today, am I part of building something worthwhile? And if the answer is no, I think that, you know, that person needs to, you know, start a process of exploring, okay, well, what would be worthwhile for me to give, you know, all of those things to? And what's interesting I'm hearing you say is it's important for us to remember that we each get to define the definition of worthwhile, correct? That's a hundred percent right. And I think that's where, I think the, the traditional model of business, right, is that there's a business, they're doing something, and they hire people to come do that something for them, meaning that you are hiring somebody to help you get what you want. And what we're saying is like, look, go hire somebody and help them get what they want. And as, if there's true alignment with, as you are moving towards the thing that you want to do in your business, if there's a way that you can create alignment for that person to get what they want, then you're aligned. They're building something worthwhile while they're working for you. And I think like that's the thought of a lot of people mm-hmm. is that, oh, when you come to work for me, your job is to like work for me. And it's like, no, when somebody comes to work for you, your job as a leader is you are working for them to help them get what they want. And that's like the trans- transformational type thinking that has really opened up so much opportunity and, um, you know, just amazing experiences and, and teams and everything for me. And like, you know, that's where things change in my life. You know, and it's one of these things, I think, you know, Zig Ziglar and a lot of people kind of say this, that, Hey, if you help enough other people get what they want, you can have whatever you want. And for me, mm-hmm. um, I had yeah. heard that a couple times, like, you know, in my twenties, but I thought it was BS, right? Cause I was like, you know, I'm barely surviving. How can I go out and help a lot of other people get what they want? You know, I gotta, I gotta stay focused on just what I want and how to move my life forward. And it wasn't until Again, until, I mean, I was probably about 32 that I started understanding that at a deeper level and saying like, wow, if I can actually really get to know another human being before I hire them and make sure that I'm really clear on what they want and what they expect and the things that are important to them and their family and by them working for me, I can make sure that I'm keeping an eye on that, making sure that they're moving towards what they want. You know, then all of a sudden they're winning as we are winning it. Like we're winning as a byproduct of them winning. You know, and I think like that's that's where each individual person in the organization can be building something worthwhile, and that's where the fulfillment comes in, right? Because uh, you know, one of the one of the studies that we just recently saw was um, for the ninth consecutive year in a row, the number one reason why people voluntarily left organizations was because of lack of career development, right? And what that tells mm-hmm. me is that they were working for organizations that weren't pouring into their future vision. 
And if you're working for a company that's not actively asking the question like, hey, how can we create a bigger opportunity for you? And how can we, you know, help you grow and learn and develop? Then people are going to leave, right? And, and the, the astonishing thing was, and this is kind of like pre-COVID, right? That last year, uh, 38, or this is in 2019, uh, 2018, right? So in 2018, 38% of the workforce turned over voluntarily. 38%, and that was up 88% from 2011. So there's there's this thread that more and more people are going to just say, hey, I'm leaving this organization and I'm going to go look for something else. And again, the number one reason is because there's a lack of development for them in their career within that organization. So I think that one of the most important things as an entrepreneur when it comes to your people is you have to stay tapped into what do they want and how can you help them move towards that? Yeah, it's a great point. Great point. So speaking of the COVID, pre-COVID, we're moving towards a post-COVID, which some people call the new normal. I don't like that phrase. So we'll say post-COVID. Uh, what specifically have you uh, you done for a, a pandemic pivot? And what are you looking forward to as we move on into this this new world? Yeah, one of the, one of the interesting things is uh, <clears throat> um, I was fortunate enough to be trained at a really high level in downshifting markets. So what happens in a business if a market shift happens? And I mean, this is one of the things, that, too, that I've, that I've studied very heavily after the last shift because the last shift was part of um, me taking a really big hit. And then also, I wasn't set mm-hmm. up to take financial advantage of the last shift, right? So um, for many years now, you know, I've been studying that and we've been prepping our business, right? We, we knew that there was a shift coming, right? Um, there's a lot of people, you know, even like uh, Robert Kiyosaki and, Ray Dalio and a lot of like really high level guys that said, Hey, there's a black swan event coming in 2020. We don't know what it is, but there's something that's going to be happening. So, you know, for that reason, for our company, I mean, we were in a really good cash position. We were already running very lean. We didn't have to lay anybody off. Um, so that was really good for us. I mean, our big pivot was that we had to go virtual uh, from being an in-office team. And, you know, we love being an in-office team. I mean, we, we have a lot of fun together. Uh, we love working together and supporting each other. So that was a big shift, but, for our clients, the, the work that we do, because uh, we work with a couple of organizations too that have learning-based communities. So in one of the organizations that we work with as a client, they've got 160 businesses in there. And then another one has about 270 businesses besides our regular virtual cl- uh, clients. And what we found is as soon as the shift happened, we had to massively increase our value output, right? Without charging a dime extra for it, right? So what we did is we just immediately jumped into a mode of massively over delivering value. And what we saw was um, we saw about a 9% uh, downturn in one of our businesses and the other one stayed flat. And then Birdflow actually increased our revenue throughout the whole, um, you know, COVID experience. So, but I mean, what happened is we, and I told my team, as soon as it happened, I said, Hey, we're going to have to work harder than we have in the last three years. We're going to get paid less doing it. So we got to be ready for that. They were all on board. They jumped in. And what we did is we immediately just jumped into all the other businesses that we worked with and we transferred the knowledge that we have of, you know, the very tactical things in a downshifting market that you have to do to gain market share during that time. So even if revenue goes down, you can actually still gain market share. So there's a sense of you could actually be winning at a high level in a downshifting market, but it doesn't feel like you're winning. And what we've seen now is uh, a lot of the clients that we work with already two weeks ago, last week, this week, are hitting all-time record-breaking growth in their businesses. And I mean, that's a function of um, just understanding, again, like understanding the game of business, like intellectually understanding, okay, what has to happen when certain certain events happen? So, you know, for us, it's been a a great opportunity to kind of really look at doing some things differently. There are some of our trainings that we've had to completely revamp. Because uh, we did do a ton of uh, live trainings before this. I mean, it was, you know, almost every two weeks we'd have 20, 30 businesses, you know, flying into Houston. And then we'd be in some other cities doing conferences and trainings. So all of that went virtual right away. And uh, we've been very involved in, you know, developing amazing experiences for doing, you know, a full two or even three day virtual training over Zoom where we have 50, 60 people that we have to keep engaged over Zoom you know, like I said, for two or three days in a row. So it's, it's caused us to really have to look at doing things differently and how do we create more connection and engagement online through something like that. And it was, it's actually been remarkably um, 
surprising how much connection we found through um, you know going virtual in our training as well. We before we thought that there's no way that that could be matched what we see in the classroom when we do it live. And uh, I mean, it's, it's really mm-hmm. been amazing. So we're we're going to continue to you know kind of move forward and also you know see what we can do with uh, with virtual trainings. But I mean, we're at the same level. I mean. You know, we're we're here in Texas, right? So I know it's a, it's it's a little bit different from where you guys are. Um, but I mean, you know, in Texas, I mean, there's a there's a really big push that people want to kind of go back to the normal way of doing things, right? I think people are zoomed out. People are tired of like being stuck in their homes. Like they want to start, you know, moving forward. And you know, I think pretty much everything's back open in Texas now. I mean, bars, restaurants, and you know, everything else is is open. So we've actually seen things kind of switching back to the old normal way faster than we anticipated as well. So it's not like the sense of there's the, there's the new normal and it's going to be way different than the old normal. Things actually went back, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of went back to the way that things were, were being done, maybe with some modifications and some, some additional precautions. But that has also been an interesting thing is that, you know, there's this, this kind of, the, the pendulum swung really fast the other way and now it's like swinging back. And I think people want that sense of normalcy again, but, you know, I think uh, we'll, we'll have to figure out what that looks like. Yeah, and we don't know if it's a new normal, but I like to say it's a better normal because now we've we've learned how to do a lot more with technology and, and some other things that, that's bound to make our organizations more efficient and hopefully more effective as well. You know, I, we've been trapped in the flow part of Berg Flow, JC, and time has just escaped us. It is time for the rapid fire question segment already. Fire questions. I can't believe it. I I was just so captivated here, Dirk. So I'm going to fire off my first rapid fire question for you. And what's the best advice you've ever received? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to this because this is actually part of something I shared earlier. And and it it truly was the thought of if I can help enough other people get what they want, I can get whatever I want. And I mean, to this day, it's still the best advice that I've ever heard. Yeah. And again, being able to actually implement that is <laughs> once you figure it out. Oh, oh, that's what he meant. Yeah, it's 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 a game changer for sure. Uh, what are your top three favorite books that you gift or tell others about? OK, so the first one is absolutely Think and Grow Rich. Um, I read that book once a year. This will be the seventh year that I read it. And every year it's been a transformational read for me. So I've got I probably have about 30 of those books uh, on hand at all times and I hand them out. So think of Grow Rich mm-hmm. by Napoleon Hill. Um, another book that I absolutely love, it's got a very different flavor to it, but it's a super fun book. Um, it's one that I read uh, about 18 months ago. And again, I keep a stack of hand. It's called The Fish That Ate the Whale. And it's a story about Samuel Zamuri and, um, you know, building up the QML uh, banana kind of empire. And um, ultimately, it merged with United Fruit, and it, it shows how, you know, a poor uh, Russian Jewish immigrant that had nothing, you know, at age 20, became actually one of the wealthiest men in America. But it's probably like one of these guys that nobody's ever heard of. But the story is absolutely fascinating. And it's just one of these things that, you know, it's, it's just such a great story of if you truly want to go after something big, no matter where you start, you can absolutely do that. So that's one of my favorite ones to give to people. Um, I love um, another book um, called The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. And that book just has, I mean, it just has so much mileage on tactical things that you can do in your business to be aware of you know how to build a business in in a smarter way so um again it's one of those that i keep a lot of books on hand um another one too and i know that you guys asked for three but i'd love to throw in a, a last one and and that's one that uh recently i've really started getting into and it's called uh love what is by byron katie hmm. and uh it really it really kind of goes into um the idea of the way that we think and the stories that we create uh, truly have the most importance in our level of joy and fulfillment in life. All good recommendations there. Hmm. What's the smallest decision you've made that ended up having the largest impact on your life? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a t- this is a tough one, man. So, I think uh, 
here's something, and, and, and I think it's, it's not one of those like big major decisions, but it is a small decision that um, I learned probably about seven or eight years ago that has served me exceptionally well in my life. And that is when I choose to model after somebody else, meaning that if I, if I choose to look at what somebody else is doing and go after what they're doing, I also look at uh, the whole person. Meaning that if, if I look at following somebody that that's makes a lot of money or that kills it in business, immediately the next thing I'm looking at is, okay, how fulfilled are they as, you know, uh, as a spouse? How fulfilled are they as a parent? You know, what does their family life look like? What does their physical health look like? You know, what, are, what does the rest of the picture look like? And I mean, that's just something that I've adopted is um, even if other people have good advice, uh, but there's certain parts of their lives that are just complete wrecks, like, I really <clears throat> am very cautious to do what they do. Um, I really mm-hmm. um, tend to gravitate towards people that, if I look at their life, the whole life is what, <clears throat> excuse me, is what um, I'm after. So it's kind of a small decision at, at, on a continual basis is just to pay attention to people that uh, I really uh, respect, you know, all of their life and, and how they do everything. It doesn't mean that they do everything right or they, they you know, they, they always do the right things or anything, but it's, if I look at their life, I'm like, Hey, that's what I'm after. Not just how much money they're making or the business they're building, but I want that level of happiness, you know, with my wife, I want that kind of fulfillment with my family and with my kids. And I want to be that kind of dad. So those, those things are really important. That's great. Hmm. So I just idea of bombs going off in my head. Sorry. That was, that was awesome. Um, actually, in fact, before I go to the next one, uh, just as a, kind of what's your been your analysis on um on elon musk for example yeah so i mean like obviously he's he's a fellow south african right so uh i like the guy a lot but i mean again like elon is uh is an actual absolute genius he's going to leave his mark in this world in a big way like his name will be written in the history books right but the question is um at at one point like what are what are his kids going to think about you know being elon's kids right what are what is that going to look like? And when, when Elon's laying on his deathbed, is he going to be mo- mainly, you know, excited about the rockets that he sent in or furthering space travel? Or is he going to lay there and say like, wow, I really just wish I, that I would have hugged my daughter one more time, or I wish I would have just truly, you know, spent more time with my, with my wife. I mean, whatever that is. So, um, I think from, mm. you know, from what he's doing, I mean, there's, there's no, there's no doubt that, I mean, it's absolutely like a high level of respect, but when it comes to the way that he works, um, I'm not willing to sleep at the office, right? I'm not willing to, you know, grind it, you know, around the clock. I've done that before. And I found that for me and for what I want to achieve in my life, um, success in business and financial success without having, uh, fulfillment at home and having connection at home is meaningless and it makes me feel empty. And when I'm on the same page with my wife and we're good, like if my wife and I are good, I can have massive challenges in business and I still, I'm centered, right? But when things are not good with my wife and I mean, we're kind of at odds at home, no matter how much, I mean, it's going great in my business world, my finances, I, I feel unfulfilled. I feel, uh, you know, uncentered. So, you know, again, for me, it's like, you know, what Elon's doing is awesome. Like I, you know, there's no, there's no part of me that wants to do what he does for that level of success. So again, like I, I follow, mm. you know, mentors, like, you know, I mentioned David Osborne is, is, is my greatest mentor. And, you know, when I look at his lifestyle today and the way that he shows up as a, as a husband and as a dad, and I mean, he's got private jets, he's got multiple homes, he's got great businesses, all that kind of stuff. I was like, that's what I want. I want to have a really successful business mm. career, but more than that, I don't want that in lieu of a great relationship with my wife and my kids. Like, and I was told once before that, you know, probably about 10 years ago, like, hey, you're going to have to choose one or the other. You can't have them both. And what I've learned is you can have them both. You just have to learn how to prioritize. And I love what you said there. You, you've got to know not only what you want, but also what you don't want and, and fight just as hard to make sure you don't get what you don't want. Right. 100%. Yeah. Mm. What's one thing every high school student must know? Oh, man. I love this. I think, uh, I think high school kids need to know that they're the, the traditional model of get good grades in high school, go to college, get good grades. I mean, like that, that model's dead, right? So I think a lot of people, I mean, I've, I've had these conversations over the last couple of years with some of my uh, nieces and nephews as they're kind of at that age of going to college now. And I've just encouraged them. I said, look, today you can get an education just about anywhere. You don't have to go to uh, a college to get an, or a university to get an education. Right? You can get an education off of YouTube. You can 
get it from Google. You can get it from paying like, you know, for a lot of different courses, business courses, whatever it is. And get clear about like what it is that you want to go experience, but, you know, go out and experience, learn, do. Um, Cause uh, this whole thing about um, follow your passion is, is kind of BS, right? Cause what I've learned is that you're not going to truly connect with your deeper levels of passion until you connect into the deeper levels of activity around something. Because here's what happens, right? If somebody just follows their passion, right. the passion runs out pretty quick when, when things get tough, right? As soon as it becomes challenging and you got to start working through the, the, the problems, the passion, I mean, that's one reason that 50% of people are divorced, right? It's like, there's a lot of passion when they first get together, but when things get tough, the passion goes away. And, and one thing, I mean, I've, I've been mm. married for 13 and a half years now. And I dated my wife five years before that. So, I mean, we're going on in, in almost 19 and a half years of being before of being together is that I'm finding a deeper level of passion with my wife as we're learning to go through the activities of learning how to be married and committed together at a higher level. So I think the same mm. thing is like I would encourage young people, like go out there and just go do something. You know, you, you, you're not going to get it right. You're not going to get everything figured out. And like it, it drives me crazy when like parents tell their kids like the blueprint of like what to go do. But then I look at the parents and I say, hey, how fulfilled are you? Do you have your life figured out? And like a lot of parents, like at 40, 50 years old, they're like, no, I still don't know what I want to really do. Yeah. Like, then stop trying to tell your kids what to go do. Let them go out there and experience life and go try things, have different jobs, figure out what they what they like, what they connect with, and then follow that. You don't have to go to college to do that too. So I would say go out there and do that. The other thing I would say is like stay the hell out of debt. Like debt is a chain and it'll turn you, you know, put you in a position where you can't go out and experiment and, and try your best, you know, uh, creativity and things like that. So stay lean, stay out of debt and, you know, go try different, different things. Hmm. And final question, what's the secret to achieving personal freedom? Yeah. So this is, I'll go back to the Byron Katie book, right? Love what it is. Um, Cause here's the thing we, when people are miserable, right? When they, when they, when they don't feel free, it's because there's an expectation that's not met. And a lot of times when expectations aren't met, it's because we've got a story in our head about what should be right. Well, your spouse did this or they didn't do that, or your team's not doing this or the business isn't performing or COVID hit or the government's doing this, whatever it is. Like you've got these stories with these unmet expectations because those things are happening now. It's it's causing me to lose out, right? So, if we can kind of go back to this place of really just taking full responsibility and saying, you know what, even though there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, like, it, is that really the reason that I'm not experiencing this personal freedom, right? And and I think everybody defines you know freedom in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. I think from a from a financial sense, from a business sense, I mean, we always say that look. Time, freedom, and money are the two things that act, give you access to freedom because that, that, that's what gives you options. But, you know, we all know people that have time, freedom, and have a ton of money, and they're still miserable, right? So there's, there's a deeper level of personal freedom that, that can only be unlocked by you really examining the stories in your head and the meaning that you assign to whatever happens in your, in your life. And once you start realizing that most of the things that cause you to be sad or upset or frustrated actually have nothing to do with anybody else and they have everything to do with your belief systems around what's happening then you can actually start moving to a place where you can neutralize that and say you know what i can be happy no matter what's happening and i mean for me that's a journey that i'm on because uh, i'm a very driven person and i kind of have this innate sense of wanting to go out and conquer on an ongoing basis and it's, it's almost like never enough we've got to keep driving we've got to keep you know pushing and what, what's happened is I feel like I've lost a lot of years of my life um, just not being ever satisfied, no matter how good things are going. So I've, I've really kind of engaged this journey over the last few years of, of just kind of examining myself and going through self-awareness and saying like, you know what, despite all these other things that I could assign blame or reason to, like, what does it look like? What does my belief system look like around this? What are the stories that I'm telling myself? And as I'm exploring that and doing that kind of work, um, you know, and, the, and, and like the book Love What Is for, you know, from Byron Katie, like she, she has an amazing program that really just kind of helps you explore that. So I think that's it. I mean, at, at the at the highest level, there's you trying to find it in something else is never going to get you that personal freedom. Well, thank you so much for uh, speak, spending some time with us today, Dirk. Um, again, your company is called Bergflow, which can be found at bergflow.com. Where can people find you on the socials? <laughs> uh, I mean, funny enough, man, like I, 
I have social accounts and I'm finding myself more and more and more, you know, over time, just not really being that engaged in it. Um, so <laughs> I would say probably, I mean, I'm, I'm on, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. So if you look for Dirk Van Rien and you not, sorry, not Twitter, but, uh, Instagram and, and Facebook, but, um, you know, the best way if you want to get in touch with me is, is just email Dirk at Burkflow.com or go to Burkflow.com and get in touch with us there. I mean, love to connect. Um, you know, and, and a lot of our content's actually put out on our website, you know, if you want to kind of learn more about what we do. So yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Dirk. Yeah, absolutely. Dirk, thanks for being with us. Great, great meeting you. Yeah. JC, thank you so much. And Andy, thank you. Appreciate it. So there you have it guys, Dirk and his team over at Bergflow are the real deal. And after doing this interview, the AWC team and I had the chance to take his introductory course on pivot ready teams. And I have to say it was a pretty powerful day of training and I'm sure his his more in-depth classes are that much better. So be sure to reach out to him if your business is plateauing and having issues getting to that next level. That said, what did you get from this conversation? Tag us on social media with any pointers you got out of discussion and would love to hear your thoughts on what you heard today. If you'd like to continue this conversation with Dirk, I have a handful of videos for you from his series called Bergflow Live. It's a stream he periodically does on Facebook, and all four of the videos are relevant to businesses that are needing to pivot and shift uh, during the pandemic, and I highly recommend checking them all out. And if what he's talking about in those uh, videos strikes a chord with you even more, be sure to reach out to him and his team over at Bergflow. Again, you can check those out and the other show notes at newinceptions.com slash 180. So that's it for session 180. Remember, if you want to automate your networking and discovery process on LinkedIn the right way, check out Connected. You can check out a demo at newinceptions.com slash K-E-N-N-E-C-T-E-D. So with that said, thanks again for joining us for this chat with Dirk. Till next session, dig in, have fun, and take care of whatever you're creating, and we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash newinceptions, on Twitter at newinceptions, Instagram at new.inceptions, and on the web at newinceptions.com.